But on that day, what seemed as the darkest hour of violent hope broke through and shook the ground, and as you rose, the light of all the world was magnified as you rose in victory. Hallelujah, it is finished. Hallelujah, it is done. Hallelujah, King forever. Lord, we thank you for the cross. He is risen. Oh, I think you can do better than that. This isn't a pep rally, just, uh, just to be clear. But he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our Easter celebration service here at Mercy Hill Church. We are excited that you are here. And uh, it is interesting because there is a tangible joy in the room. Um, I can feel it. It's probably a little bit the weather. Uh, it's probably, of course, what we are here to celebrate. It might be some of the pastel colors that I see. But boy, there is a joy that is in this place today. Like, you guys clapping at the end of a song? Like, what is, like, who are you? <laughs> not too long ago, we were talking about spirit-led, and I was like, hey, it's not going to get weird, so, like, come on out and, like, worship with us and pray with us and all this stuff. And then, like, we had spirit-led that night, and, like, somebody started clapping at the end of a song, and I thought, okay, it's getting weird. <laughs> but that was as weird as it got. It's pretty awesome. Easter. Easter for us means a lot of different things. When we celebrate Easter, immediately our minds go to so many things. Of course, I hope it goes to the resurrection scene, to the empty tomb, but for a lot of us, it starts with bunnies and chocolates and eggs and lilies. Sometimes it starts with pastel shirts, Sunday bests, and family photos and ham. But for the believer, for God's church, those that he has called out of darkness and into the light of Christ, Easter is the culmination of the sufficient, full, and finished work of Jesus to save and to ransom and redeem his people from sin and ultimately from death. The Easter story is where God renders hell defeated. Where God renders sin defeated. Where death is defeated. And Jesus is the victor. He's our conquering king forever. The son had accomplished what the father had commissioned him to do. And the father is well pleased. He is satisfied. Have you ever had a product where your satisfaction was guaranteed? Ever buy a product because of the warranty? Like, I buy this thing and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on using this warranty kind of deal where you know you're going to be a little rough with it? You ever like, get the, uh, the insurance on the rental car because you know you're going to beat it up a little bit? But sometimes, like, there's a product and to pitch this product, they promise that your satisfaction is guaranteed. And how many times, like, when you get that product, you're like, eh, okay, it's fine. It's okay. But sin and death are seemingly never satisfied, right? For everybody in this room at one point, at some point in our life, it could be later on this afternoon, heaven forbid, 
could be when we're old and gray. Death is seemingly never satisfied. We will all experience that ultimate demise. But in Christ, in Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who calls us friend, our King forever, in the cross and in his glorious resurrection, it is finished. And the Father is satisfied. Sin rendered powerless. Death rendered powerless. All because of Jesus. And all because he rose. If you have your Bible, you want to turn to John chapter 20. We're going to read the accounts of the resurrection from John chapter 20. Just to set the stage for what we're celebrating today. We're going to talk about being satisfied in the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says this, Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Okay, so that's John, by the way, and that's, he wrote this book, and he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. I think that's hilarious. Like, I'm his favorite. I'm the one he loves. Uh, where am I now? Stop cracking jokes and read the Bible. Uh, so when Peter went out uh, with the other disciple, they were both going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, he's like emphasizing here that he's faster, also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that said he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there. The body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to him and said in Arabic, Rabbi, she said to her, Do not cling to he, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he said these and, and that he said these things to her. Before we do anything else this morning, let's pray once again. Father, we do thank you for the cross. We do thank you that it did not end there. But God, that you conquered death and you rose. And that those of us who put our faith in the person, in the work of Jesus, we too will be victorious over death. That we have hope and eternal life 
because of the person and the work of Jesus. And so God, in this place today, I pray that we would put our faith in you. Not just a belief, but a faith that entrusts you with our entire lives. That we would see the worthlessness of this world and the surpassing worth of Jesus and we would truly become disciples that follow. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week was Palm Sunday. And we went through the account of the triumphal entry. Now, I heard one pastor refer to that account as actually the tragic entry. We talked about how Jesus, riding into town on the donkey, he looks over Jerusalem and he starts to weep for the city because they did not fully understand what Jesus was about to do. They're waving their palm branches, singing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and their minds fixed on temporal things, on earthly things, that Jesus was going to come and overthrow Rome. He starts weeping. He said, if only you would known this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Jesus coming to bring peace. Last week we read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist declares, who takes away the sins of the world, rides into town on a donkey during Passover. Passover is one of their biggest feasts of the Jewish people. Right? And during this feast, tens of thousands, if not 100,000 lambs are slain for the feast. And here comes the Lamb of God, the one who is ultimately going to be slain, the one who is ultimately going to shed his blood to cover and atone for every one of their sins. That's the beautiful thing about the cross is sin and death are satisfied. They are covered in the blood of Jesus, the spotless lamb who came to die. It satisfies the perfection and the righteous law of God. And since we are indeed sinful lawbreakers, the work of Christ satisfies the payment of death and the blood that is required because he is the spotless lamb. Right? The payment for sin is death. We know that from Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You look at the Greek word there for wages, it could be payment um, or rate. I, it, one, of the, one of the commentaries I read, it, it was rate. I was thinking of the going rate. What's the going rate for sin? You think about the going rate of things, right? You ever check gas prices to kind of get a gauge of the economy, right? Gas prices going up. I was in Home Depot the other day, and I was shocked at the going rate for a two-by-four. It's crazy right now. What's the going rate? Feeling the inflation and the market fluctuations, but for sin, the going rate has been and always will be death. The wages, the going rate, the wages, the price, the payment for sin is death. And our spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, he paid it all. Sacrifice of atonement. Atonement meaning reparation. 
reconciling us, making right the relationship between us and a holy God, us and the Father in heaven. That blood was required to cover the sins of the people and to cover our sins to repair the relationship. Going all the way back to Exodus chapter 12, it's the beautiful picture of the lamb that was slain, the blood put over the doorpost, and the angel of death would pass over them. The beautiful blood of Jesus, shed on Friday, atones for, covers, cleanses, just as we sang about this morning, every sinful deed and thought you've ever committed. It pays the debt in full and satisfies the debt of sin. Satisfies sin and death. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing this, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers. That's from sin, not with perishable things. You were ransomed not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The work of Christ is full and sufficient, removing all the obstacles between us and God the Father. But to further understand how Jesus satisfies it all, I want us to move back just a few, um, a few days. Let's go back to late Thursday evening, maybe early Friday morning before his death on the cross. Let's go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> Verses 36 through 46, it says this. When Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there to pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Many of you know this story. Verse 38 says, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The, spe the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, Father, if it cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. He came to his disciples and said, Sleep, take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Three times in the garden, Jesus shows us this beautiful dichotomy, right? Fully God, fully man. You see this moment where he's praying to his heavenly father, if there's any way that this cup pass for me, if there's any way that this cup might be taken from me, please, father, let it be, but not my will. Your will be done. Three times he prays that prayer. What is this cup? What is the cup? Is it merely his death? Is it merely his suffering? Is that what it is? I think that is a big part of it. 
If I look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, here's a really actually interesting story. It's about the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and the mother of these boys. And here it says in verse 20, Then the mother of sons of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Okay, so it's like, for me, you're grown men, right? And here's your mom. Like going to the teacher. Like mom's going to handle it. Mom's going to take care of this. She, here, here comes mom. And he said to her, verse 21, what do you want? And she says to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. That's a bold ask, right? Like sons are too nervous to add. Like we're not going to go, like mom's going to handle it. It's kind of embarrassing actually. <laughs> Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup? that I'm to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. So there is an element of the cup of Jesus Christ as he's in the garden, this cup that he is going to drink. There's an element of it that, yes, it is about the death and the suffering that he is going to experience. It's part of it. And we, as followers of Jesus, we should expect to share in the sufferings of Christ. We should count it a joy. We should count it an honor that we would share in his sufferings. As we experience temptations and trials, as we continue to deny our flesh, in a way the disciples and us as followers, we drink of the same cup of suffering that Christ did. But when I look at the whole council of Scripture, the cup that Jesus was about to drink on Friday was more than just his death and suffering. When I look through the council of Scripture, you see that the cup is the cup of God's wrath. The cup that is due sinners. The cup that is due those who rebel against a holy God. Some great examples. Isaiah 51, 17 says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. Jeremiah 25, 15 says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations whom I send it to you drink it. To understand the wrath of God is an important thing. A lot of times when we think of wrath, we get these earthly pictures in our brain. Um, make no mistake, it's not God losing his temper. Okay, like an earthly fallen father like me. Okay, getting frustrated and just kind of losing it for a moment. Right, anybody? Okay, I'll be the only honest one in the room today. Thank you. I see that hand. Um, Right? It's not God just going off the handle. Okay? It is a deliberate part of his will. It is a part of his justice. You have to understand the holiness of God. In him, there is no darkness. In him, there is no hint of impurity. He is holy and righteous and just. We are not. We are born with a sinful nature from our ancient ancestors. And then out of that comes all sorts of deceit and sin. 
my sinful thoughts, my sinful actions. Out of that flows just a fountain of fleshly desires. How are these two things, a holy, righteous, pure God and me, sinful, fallen man, how do I ever have any hope to stand before a holy God? Jesus. The person and the work of Jesus. God's wrath is his determined will of a holy God against all sin and those who rebel against him. It is the purest form of justice. And a lot of times we, there's something in us that rises up against him. We're like, we can't reconcile a God who is completely loving and a God who actually has wrath. We have a hard time justifying in our brain. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. How can these two coexist? But they do so beautifully in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. The cup that Jesus is about to drink on the cross is bigger than mere suffering or even death. It is the holy and just wrath of God due to sinful people. That's what Jesus experienced in going to the cross. Not just a physical death, not just a, a beating of a lifetime, but the wrath of God. The perfect and just response to sin poured out full strength on an innocent man because he loved you. Do you understand that? Do you understand the fullness of his grace? 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21, it says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, able to stand before a holy God because of Jesus. He stepped in our place. He took the hit. He took the blame. He drank your cup. The cup that was due me, he drank it full, the wrath of God on our behalf. And the Father was satisfied. The Father was satisfied. Satisfaction guaranteed because of Jesus. On Good Friday, we read all of Isaiah 53. And I want to read a couple of those verses again with you today. Verses 10 and 11, it says this, Yet <clears throat> it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Father that the Son would go to the cross. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his day. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. On the cross of Jesus Christ, sin is satisfied. Death is satisfied. The, the wrath of God is satisfied in Jesus. Have you placed your faith in the person and work of Christ 
Have you given him your life? Have you surrendered your will and your life to him? If not, the cup still belongs to you. If not, the cup is still yours to drink. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says this. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? We have such a gracious God who is so patient with us. And it's not that he's indifferent. Don't mistake his patience for indifference towards your sin. He is patient with us. Verse 5, because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up for yourself wrath on the day of wrath when God's judgment comes and will be revealed. By God's grace, he sent his son. Because God loved the world, he sent his son. And in the person and the work of Jesus, the Father is satisfied. I think in the hearts of mankind, there's this nagging question. Is God satisfied with me? Is God pleased with me? It's a nagging question to know that you are right before God. I think in the heart and the soul of every man, there's that ache to be right before God. And in our own doing, we will fall short every time. The Bible describes our righteousness is the same as filthy rags. My own merits, my own effort, my own doing will never make me right before a God. And that's the point of the gospel. He sent his son who lived a sinless life. And that sinless life is not just the example I'm supposed to follow, the, the, the goal, the target that I'm supposed to aim for, to live just like that because every day I'm full of despair because I can never do it. But that sinless life becomes my righteousness by faith. That sinless life becomes my perfection before a holy God because of faith. His perfect sacrifice and death, the thing that satisfied this blood that was poured out that satisfies sin and death, that becomes my salvation through faith. And his perfect and complete resurrection becomes my hope and guarantee of eternal life. Today, if you are in Christ Jesus, he does not look down on you like a child of wrath. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, once we were all children of wrath following the course of this world. But if you are in Christ Jesus, Jesus drank your cup. Praise God. He took the full strength wrath of God for you. But he didn't just die. He rose again. Amen. He rose again. We have life and salvation and it is guaranteed secure because he rendered sin, death, hell, the grave. He's rendered them powerless because he lives. And that's why we're here today. In this place, it is my prayer and hope that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have, the Father is satisfied. And it's guaranteed because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day.
We thank you for the cross. But even more, God, we thank you for your resurrection, which renders it all powerless. Sin, death, hell, the grave. You have conquered Jesus. Thank you. God, for my friends in this room today, God, I'm sure you're probably speaking to hearts. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. God, if there are folks in this room that have been trying to accomplish this in their own merit, in their own strength, God, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and that they would put their faith in you. Maybe you're in this room today and, and maybe you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you know you need Jesus. You know you need to give your life to Jesus. You know you need to place your faith in Jesus. You know you need salvation in Jesus. I'd love to pray for you. I'm just going to ask that maybe you just look up and catch my eye so I can include you in my prayer. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Thank you. There's nothing magical about this. There's nothing whatever. Just be, just, it's just an acknowledgement. It's just a confession, just even with a simple look that I need Jesus. If you'd like, just thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. Praise God. God, I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you, God, that it's not in us and it's not in our own strength, but it has all been accomplished in Jesus. And it culminates with the resurrection, sin defeated, death defeated, the wrath of God is satisfied. Thank you, Jesus, that you drank my cup Thank you, God, for salvation and life in you. And God, for my new friends here today, those that are acknowledging their need for you, God, meet them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Testify to their hearts that they belong to you. Empower them, God, to put their faith and trust in you, not just on a Sunday, but every day, God, that they would have a life that lives to honor Christ. Be glorified in us, your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together. Really, I really want to celebrate this one last time with you guys. Let's sing it out.